Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. As we come to the conclusion of Paul's letter, beginning at chapter 16, he directed our attention to a number of individuals that he wanted to greet that were in the congregation at Rome. He had not been to Rome, but he knew many of these individuals from previous contacts, and he hadn't forgotten them. And so as he writes to this congregation, he also sends his greetings to those in Rome that he is familiar with. And I think there was something like 20-something individuals he makes reference to. Here, as he concludes the letter, he gives us another list of individuals. These are individuals who are with him in Corinth from which he is writing. And there's about eight names here or so. And they are rather interesting to us, just like the other names. But what these individuals provide us with is a glimpse, a little window, into how the early congregation of believers connected, operated, and worked together. So take a look at this with me. In verse 21, he first sends greetings from Timothy, his fellow worker. He says he sends his greetings to you. And of course, Timothy is a very popular character in the Brit HaDashah, in the New Covenant Scriptures. Paul writes two letters to Timothy. In fact, his very last letter is 2 Timothy, his second letter to this young man who worked with him. We learn about Timothy first in the book of Acts. And while Paul was on his second journey to plant congregations in Asia and Europe and to raise funds for those poor believers in Jerusalem, he ends up or he heads to a city called Lystra in Asia Minor or Turkey. And in that city, he meets a family. The family is a mixed marriage. The husband is Greek and the wife is Jewish. The wife who is Jewish is a believer in Messiah. Her parents, her, her, her parents or Timothy's grandparents were believers. And as they shared God's word with their grandson and son, Timothy came to faith as well. Paul meets up with Timothy when he meets this family. And from then on, he becomes something of Paul's right-hand man, you might say. Certainly, Luke was incredibly important to Paul, as was Silas. But Timothy was also a young man who he mentored and who served with him from that time throughout the remainder of his life. Paul now is in Corinth. What's interesting here is that whenever Paul writes a congregation and makes reference to Timothy, it's always at the front end of his letters. So, for example, in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he writes, Paul, Silas, and Timothy greet you. When you look at the book of Galatians, you'll find that Paul acknowledges Timothy. There's three or four other letters that he writes in which Timothy is acknowledged, but always at the front end of his letter. Here, it's at the back end. And so that raises speculation as to why did he mention Timothy at the tail end of his letter. It appears that he probably wrote his name down here because Timothy has just arrived at Corinth. And now the question is, why has he come to Corinth? Earlier, Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus. That's where Timothy was serving. After he had established a congregation there, he left Timothy behind to continue the work as he went forward into uh, Macedonia and Achaia 
northern and southern Greece into Europe. Paul would establish congregations in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica and then down in Achaia at Corinth. But he leaves Timothy in Ephesus. But now it appears that Timothy has arrived at Corinth, coming from Ephesus. That means he probably took the, uh, the sea route and took a boat across the Aegean Sea and came over to Achaia and then walked over to the congregation at Corinth where Paul was located. Why? Because Paul, as he's told us in this letter, wants to go to Rome and then Spain. But before he can get there, he has to go back to Jerusalem. Why does he have to go to Jerusalem? Because he's been collecting monies from the congregations he's planted among the Gentiles, and he needs to return to bring those finances to the poor in Jerusalem. What we find in Acts chapter 20 is a list of individuals who accompany Paul to Jerusalem. Among those named are some of those named here at Corinth while Paul writes this letter to the Romans. So it appears that Timothy was coming with an offering to add to what Paul already had collected from Ephesus to be joined with the monies he's now collecting from Corinth. And now that Timothy has arrived, as Paul is concluding his letter, perhaps he's now trying to conclude the letter because the boat is now docked at the harbor. And in the ancient world, boats didn't just come in on the hour. Boats didn't even come in every other day or so. But it could be months and sometimes even years before certain boats would make their way to various port cities, depending on the weather. And perhaps the boat has arrived to take him back to Israel and to Jerusalem. And he's now rushing to complete his letter. And as he sends his greetings, ah, Timothy has showed up. And so now he writes and he says, oh, by the way, Timothy sends his greetings to you. Now what's interesting is when we get to the next set of individuals, he also mentions Lucius, Jason, and Sospiter, my relatives. Probably by relatives, he means other Jewish believers. But when one reads into the book of Acts, we come to, uh, we learn of some of these individuals. So for example, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. And in, in Acts 17, we read of Paul's ministry in Thessalonica and then in Berea, two towns or cities that were very close to each other. Now, Paul mentions Lucius, Sospiter, and he mentions Jason, does he not? Right. Now, take a look at Acts chapter 17. While Paul was providing the good news and sharing, he says, but the Jews were jealous So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. So it appears that this Jason and the Jason mentioned in the book of Romans are probably one and the same. 
As Timothy has made his way from Ephesus with, some, with an offering, some financial gift to give to the believers in Jerusalem, Jason has come down from Berea or, is that, or Thessalonica. And he's brought a financial gift to add to what Paul is going to bring to Jerusalem. And so Paul now at the end of this letter as he gets ready to sail, he says, and also Jason sends his greetings. And Jason exhibited a gift of hospitality. He must have been fairly well off and established because the crowd knows him. And he's opened his home to Paul and Silas so that they had a place to stay while they conducted their ministry in Berea. Must have been a large enough home to accompany both of them. So perhaps Jason was fairly wealthy in order to accompany or to help Paul in this regard. And also to then travel and come with Paul to Jerusalem. We read of Sospiter. Take a look at Acts chapter, um, let's see, chapter, I think in Berea. He says, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. The Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. And he says, for, for they received the message with great eagerness. And uh, I, I guess I have the wrong passage here. I thought that he was also mentioned in, Sospater was in Berea. But uh, I'm getting my passages a little confused. But in any case, Sospater is made reference to, perhaps not here, but certainly in Acts 20, is coming with an offering as well from Europe to bring to Paul that would eventually make its way to Jerusalem. And so Paul has mentioned these individuals that are partakers with him. Now take a look at verse 22. He says, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greets you in the Lord. And then in verse 23, he says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole congregation here enjoy, sends you his greetings. And then look at the close of verse 23. He says, and our brother Quartus sends you their greetings as well. Now, Paul is in the home of Gaius. Gaius was a Roman believer and a wealthy individual. We know that he owned a home because in the book of Acts, we're told that when the Corinthian believers gathered, they gathered in Gaius' home. So he opened his home both to Paul in his ministry. He opened his home to the believers so that they would gather in worship and in praise. And he must have been fairly wealthy in order to do this, but also he owned at least four slaves. In the Roman world, when you were a wealthy individual and you owned slaves, each one of those slaves held a different position in your household. So that your most trusted slave, your slave that had your greatest responsibilities in hand, they were, he was named as Primus. And so though it comes across as a name, it's also a title. And thus your number one slave, your slave that you were most trusting in, was referred to as Primus. Your second slave, who was second in command, was referred to as Segundus. And you'll read in Acts chapter 20, such an individual who accompanied them to Jerusalem. If you were a third level slave, you were referred to as Tertius, which is what we read here in the book of Romans. If you were a fourth level slave, you were referred to as Quartus, 
who is made reference here. If you were fifth level, you were referred to as Quintus. What's interesting here in Romans, he mentions two individuals by these titles, Tertius and Quartus, who were in the home of Gaius. So Gaius owned at least four slaves. His home was big enough to house the congregation, and he was available enough to be, open his home to Paul. So, so Tertius and Quartus were two slaves, his third level and his fourth level slaves. But now look at verse 23. He mentions that Tertius was also Paul's secretary or amanuensis. Because he says in verse 23, he's the one who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, if you look at the end, I think it's of 1st or 2nd Corinthians, and you look at the end of Galatians, and one other text in the Brit Hadashah, you'll find that when Paul comes to the end, he then finalizes his greetings by saying that he has written these final greetings in his own hand. Sometimes he says, you can see with what large letters I have written this letter, suggesting that Paul's thorn in the flesh that he makes reference to in 2 Corinthians was the loss of his eyesight. And as he might have been losing his eyesight, he prayed to God to take this away. And the Lord, and he said that he prayed three times. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. So it may very well be that toward the end of Paul's life, he was losing his vision as he writes with these big letters. And remember, when Paul came to faith, it says he was blinded by the light of Messiah's glory. And then he fell off of his horse and he had to be led by the hand to Damascus where one of the believers there had prayed for him and he was healed of the loss of his eyesight. So now perhaps at the end of his life, he was losing his sight and eventually perhaps had gone blind. But what's interesting here is that Tertius, his third le- Gaius's third level slave, was Paul's secretary, writing down his letter for Paul. And he sends his greetings as well. Perhaps as Paul made reference to, oh, Tertius, write down. Timothy sends his greetings, as does Lucius and Jason and Sospiter. Maybe they just arrived as well. And as Paul perhaps takes a pause to think about what he wants to say next or looking around the room to acknowledge anyone he's left out. Tertius takes a moment and says, and I, Tertius, also, you know, send you his greetings. We don't know what sparked it, but that's what it feels like to me as I read this. Now, take a look at Gaius. Gaius is another interesting character because in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 1, there's a concern that he has about the Corinthian believers. His concern is that there are divisions that are creeping in. And he says, some are saying, I am of Apollos. And they saw him as their principal discipler or leader or mentor. Others said, no, I am of Paul. I am of Cephas or Peter. And then others said, well, I am of Messiah. You know? And so they all were sort of divisive and creating these divisions around personalities. We see that somewhat today. Oh, I always listen to John MacArthur, you know, or I always listen to, and you can fill in the blanks for whoever is your, you know, a, a preacher or teacher that you really like to listen to. Well, that's what was happening in Corinth. What Paul says is, he mentions in chapter one, that I am so glad, he says, 
that I have not immersed or baptized many of you. In fact, the only ones I remember baptizing, he says, are Gaius and Crispus. Now, when you look in the book of Acts, when Paul comes to Corinth, he goes to the local synagogue, as he always does. And as he shares the good news, the Jewish, believers, the Jewish unbelievers there are not happy with Paul's message. But one of the rulers is, and his name is Crispus. And it is he that he, Paul evidently leads to faith, immerses and becomes one of the leaders in the congregation at Corinth. A second individual who Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians is that he had baptized Gaius. And now Gaius, we learn, it is in his home that the believers are meeting. And thus Paul makes reference to him in Corinth, and we see him now acknowledging him in his letter written from Corinth to the believers at Rome. And we know that Gaius was a wealthy individual. He had these slaves, and they were serving in this endeavor to communicate the good news in letter and to bring the offering that is going to be sent to the believers in Jerusalem. And one last individual is this man by the name of Erastus, who is referred to as the city's director of public works. You know, an, an archaeological find was found in Corinth. And that one of the walkways in the city of Corinth had an inscription on it which said this stone was laid at the expense of Erastus who served as the city's, uh, in the city council or something like that. And so we do have acknowledgement of this individual even in some archaeological finds that have been discovered. And he was, he's referred to here as the city's director of public works. And so it's interesting that the public sidewalk, the roadway, was, has his name on it, which is what he would be responsible for. And then perhaps, and then he says, and our brother Quartus, the number fourth slave, sends you their greetings. Almost like, you know, if I've forgotten everybody, I've acknowledged everyone, and some, perhaps Quartus raised his hand, you forgot me. And he says, oh, and our brother Quartus as well. Now, what's so neat about this passage to me is the window into the operation of the congregation in the first century here at Corinth. Keep in mind the individuals we just acknowledged that were here. Some were Roman. Some, like Gaius. Some were Greek, like Jason or Sospiter. Some were Jews, like those he refers to as my relatives. So in one sense, here among the believers gathered in this congregation at Corinth, there is this acknowledgement, at least among these writers, these individuals Paul is writing, that we are one in Messiah. And it doesn't matter whether you're Roman or Greek or a Jew, we are one in Him. And they acknowledge one another as relatives, as brothers, as family. Another neat thing about this passage is it didn't matter what social status they held. They may have been very wealthy like Gaius. 
They may have had a, an image or a recognition in the public eye, such as Erastus, who was the director of public works. Or it may be a Tertius or a Quartus, slaves. Or it may be a Timothy, who has, is very entrusted uh, in his ministry by Paul. It didn't matter what their status was. They were one in the Lord, and they were equal in him. You don't see Erastus speaking down, hey, forget about Quartus, he's just a slave. But rather, there's this humble acknowledgement of one another and a mutual respect for each other. It may very well have been that Gaius did not always feel this way about his slaves. It may have been that he had looked down upon his slaves until he met Messiah. And then he learned that he needed to honor them and respect them, especially if they were members of the household of faith. And maybe he's changed with regard to the way he acted toward these individuals. But what we do find is that in this passage, they are, they are on an equal standing with each other. A third thing that strikes me about this is that it didn't matter what their background, whether Jews or Gentiles, Romans or Greeks, they loved one another. It didn't matter what their status in life was, whether they were slaves or whether they were, they were wealthy. They were treating each other equally. But another thing that's interesting here is that they also recognized their own individual gifts and contribution to the body. Some of them were able to open their homes because they had gifts of hospitality. They had the room and the wherewithal to help Paul, and so they opened their homes to him. Some had homes that were big enough that the congregation could meet there. They didn't have church buildings. They didn't have separate buildings to house their work or their worship. But rather, they gathered in homes. And so here was an individual who opened their home, his home to Paul and other travelers, no doubt, and also opened their home to the congregation that was gathering there. They look at this number three slave and they say, now that guy can write. He has good penmanship. He may have been an educated slave. He's entrusted with the very words that Paul would write. Think how marvelous that is. We talked about Phoebe. I said Phoebe. Phoebe, that she carried the letter of Paul to the believers at Rome and how grateful we are that she didn't lose it drop it or somehow fall into a river and it be destroyed. She was faithful in distributing the letter to the Roman congregation. And here we are 2,000 years later reading it and benefiting from it and finding it to be one of the greatest writings of all time entrusted in this woman's hands. But we can go one step further and we can look at this slave who was entrusted with writing down precisely what Paul was dictating to him. I can imagine if it was me, Paul, slow down. What did you say? I'm, I'm still back on verse 2, you know, or whatever it is. But for Tertius, he was right there with Paul, ready to go. When you think of an individual like Timothy, he may not have liked having to remain back in Ephesus. Maybe he said, why do I have to stay in Ephesus? I want to go on to Europe or wherever he would be. But he recognized the gift God has entrusted to him as a shepherd of the flock. And thus when Paul said, Timothy, I need to leave you here in Ephesus and entrust you with the work God has established, Timothy was willing and ready to do so.
Think of those individuals who have come from Thessalonica, from Berea, from Ephesus, entrusted with the gifts and the money that were collected by the believers. They had no doubts that that money was going to remain intact, the complete amount that was put together and brought to Paul because it must go to Jerusalem. They knew that those guys were not going to stick their hand in the pot, you might say. They knew that those individuals were trustworthy and those individuals were willing to leave their family, leave their jobs, their occupations for an extended period of time in order to get to Paul and then to Jerusalem and then hopefully back home. It would take them quite a while to make that trip. When you think of the gifts that are being reflected in these few verses and with respect to these greetings... It makes me think that that is how the early believers operated. They were individuals that respected each other regardless of their background. They were individuals that loved and entrusted themselves to each other no matter what their status in life or in society might be. They were individuals that recognized the unique gifts that they each possessed and sought to benefit from those gifts. And they were willing to use their gifts, even in a sacrificial manner, by giving up their time, giving up uh, their place, and traveling and bringing the money and needs to others that were in need of it. It makes me think of the concern that these individuals had for others. And thus they were concerned with the lost. They wanted to send their greetings to Rome. They wanted to see the good news expand. Indeed, that is why Paul leaves to begin with. He wants to see that more and more individuals hear of the good news, particularly from among the Gentiles, but not to the exclusion of the Jews. So that more individuals would be welcomed into the body of Messiah and into the family of God. These were individuals that were concerned with the lost. And they were concerned with other believers that they had benefited from, particularly in Jerusalem, that were in great need. And so there are hard questions for us to ask ourselves. How do we look at each other? Do we look at each other sort of from a vantage point that we shouldn't? Do we look down on someone because they're not Jewish or they're not non-Jewish? Or because they're of some racial background. These believers saw each other equally. Do we look down on one another because we don't rise to the right standard? We don't drive the right cars, live in the right neighborhoods? But do we recognize that in the body of Messiah we are one in Him? Have we really penetrated God, have we really reflected on what God has entrusted to us and recognizing whatever it is, material or otherwise, they are things that God has granted to us by His grace. And therefore, they should be used for the benefit of others. And that we all should pool our abilities so that we could be most effective in meeting the needs not only in our society and in our city, but also among ourselves and do we have that kind of concern for the lost that these individuals exhibited by their travels and by their going out and by their communicating of the good news whenever they were given opportunity to do so one last thing I can't help but think about Tertius and Quartus these slaves 
and their names, number three and number four. But what the Lord promises us is that the last will be first. And the third and fourth rung slaves will be primuses. <laughs> you know, no longer will they just be tertiuses and cortices. They will now be primuses in the eyes of God. And the Lord is going to say to them, as well as to all others, if they have been faithful to him, well done, thou good, my good and faithful servant. That's what these guys are. Think about that. They are serving the Lord and they are doing so as brothers and sisters in the faith. They are seeking to make the Lord known in their midst. They are sharing the good news that has dramatically transformed and altered their lives for good. And they would like to see that transformation take place in the lives of all others they touch. And as Paul sends greetings, and we can go through these greetings too quick, but if we just take a moment and look at them, all of a sudden, don't these people sort of come to life now? And after I started studying this, I thought, it'd be really neat when we meet them in the very presence of God. And we'll have opportunity, yes, to thank a Paul, but also a Tertius, who is now a Primus, for writing down Paul's words so accurately for us. And thus, the Lord would use all of us like that, even as he has used them. Let's pray that he does that through us and in us and here at Beth Ariel. Let's pray. Our God and Father, what joy it is to read of faithful servants like these. That when the Lord has, when you have taken hold of their hearts, they can't be stopped. And they are ones that just want to serve and reach out and do what they can to make you known. May we do no less. Father, even now as we've heard your word, as we've worshipped in song and dance and in liturgical expressions and the hearing and reading of your word, we pray, Lord, that as we reflect on your word to us this day, Father, may we, in a sense, dedicate ourselves afresh to your service. May you fill us with your love that we might truly love one another and love those that are not among the brethren. But Father, may you open their hearts to yourself and may you use us in that endeavor. As we prepare ourselves to receive these elements that represent